Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org. I'm Lonnie Lowry. I'm a sports nutritionist and an exercise physiology professor, and I'm a bodybuilder. Hey, folks. Rob Fortress Fortney, um, former editor at Muscle Mag International, uh, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, founder of liftforhope.org and strengthguild.com. Rock on. Okay, everybody, what we're going to do is have a talk shop episode for the most part and sort of a housekeeping episode because there's a lot of things we need to catch up on and rob i think you have a few things you could go first oh sure i i just i just want to i promised a friend of mine at the gym this uh a new friend of mine i've met uh, a couple months ago at the gym his name is matt shelvock he's a young power lifter dude um and uh, him and i've been training off and on a little bit for the last month or so and he just told me the other day he actually just did a competition not too long ago and he just told me the other day that he uh, actually got a sponsorship from a uh, meat company i think that is genius yeah and and, and i just thought that was awesome because you know i mean in this day and age you know everybody's got the sponsorships from the supplement companies and all that kind of stuff and you know, as soon as he told me that, it kind of brought me back to the whole idea in Rocky. You know, when Rocky Balboa gets the, uh, he's, he's sponsored by the meat packing plant where he works and stuff. So, okay, yeah. I thought that was pretty classy. But anyway, the, the, the place, I, I just told him I'd give a shout. The place, the place is called the Whole Pig. Nice. It's www.thewholepig.ca, <laughs> and their 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 tagline here is delivering pork from your our farm to your freezer. Oof. Are they going to give him a custom right. singlet? That could be kick ass. Oh, that would be awesome! Yeah, a custom a little one of those little spinny pigtails on the back. Actually, are you looking at the website? Because that's exactly what their logo is. No, I'm not. But <laughs> that's exactly what their logo is. <laughs> Nicely I'm done. I'm artistic, man. I'm artistic. So there, there you go. yeah, the whole pig.ca, and there's the shout out to my buddy uh, Matt Shelbach and. My other well, friend, uh, to Matt, yeah. Peter, who I've uh, another friend of mine, Peter, who I've christened as Peanuts. After the uh, infamous original proprietor of Westside Barbell when it uh, existed on the West Coast long before Louis Simmons came in the picture. So, yeah, so hey, Peanuts, hey, Matt Shelvach. All right, here we go. Next. Who's got something else? Oh, well, I've got a few things, but I think Phil's got a couple of things yeah, as we well, just talk about. First, I want to do you know, our, our Iron Radio 100 episode contest. Um, we had some. Some crazy pictures of me and Rob on there, and you know, had several people chime in. And um, well, right. we picked Ca- one caption out. contest, right? Yeah, it was Pick- a caption contest, and uh, you know, just had to go through, and we had to pick one out. We narrowed it down, and Chris Beck um, is the finalist with his. Uh, you put your right foot in, and you shake it all about. Post, so Chris, <laughs> um, that was pretty good. You had me laughing at least. Um, just shoot us a line on the website and give us your address and everything, and Lonnie will. Uh, Send you out a few few goodies. So. Oh yeah, yeah. We uh, we still we've got we don't have the um, donation mugs left anymore, but we do have. Uh, I do have a couple of Iron Radio mugs, and I've got some. Uh, you know, I, I like to give away textbooks 
for the obvious reason, you know, there's so much ignorance or like people that have, they have some background, but they have holes in their training and stuff. And so some of these textbooks I give out are actually, they're friendly reads and they're, you know, they're just better. So do we not have the sound effect anymore of like the, like the cheering or anything? That's funny. You were, you were saying that because I was just uh, looking all over for it. Now, <laughs> who's the winner again? Chris Beck. Chris Beck. <laughs> oh, All right, Chris. Chris gets us to dig the emotion sounds out of the player uh, off on my hard drive. Loved by hundreds, literally. Literally. Uh, um, another thing I got. Um, just wanted to announce. I just announced it what, day before yesterday. I'm going to be doing a seminar in Vegas. Me and Chad Aches from uh, everybody know him from EliteFitness.com. Big, big guy in the uh, powerlifting and, and Highland Games. We're doing yeah. a seminar titled Strength Refined. Um, it's a one-day course on refining your technique and proficiency in the squat, bench, and deadlift. So, I mean, I know myself mm-hmm. has kind of been known for a stickler for, for form, and, and Chad is as well. And uh, pretty much we're going to walk you through about 10 hours of just refining things, and then by the end of the day we'll, uh, we're going to go and anybody who's up for it can try and use that new form to hit something big with, with us there and then go eat copious amounts of food. Uh, oh, I like I like all that, dude. I can't tell you how much I I would I would attend a seminar. This sounds so commercial, but I, you know, I had zero form in the bench press. Yeah. I would love just to see what you guys have to say about. And that's that pretty. We're gonna a lot, you know, a few hours to each, and then have a, a break where we talk, and then go back at it again, and we'll work on whatever anybody wants to, um, and go heavier. Um, it's seventy five dollars a person, um, so very reasonable. It's in September twenty fourth in Vegas. Uh, you can contact me, phil at liftforhope.org, or if you want to see, um, read up the details on what's going on, uh, go to strengthguild.com, hit um, meets and seminars, and it's going to be under there. You'll see Strength Refined Seminar with Phil Stevens and Chad Hicks. So um, only 30 okay. seats available So because we can't coach potentially you know, 100 people at once. So Right. Well, the hands-on stuff is, is better anyway. Also. Yeah. Um, oh, and you just reminded me too, by the way, contest winners now and in the future, uh, you'll have to email us through the website if you want. You can click email Fortress or email any one of us if you have it, but you have to actually contact us so I can get an address and send you your, your prizes. Just FYI. Um, then I was just going to say, you know, I, I think we've talked about it quite a bit on the show and I haven't even told Lonnie and Rob yet, but, um, I've been gone the last two weeks pretty much getting my hip checked out, getting poked and prodded. Um, and where we're at right now is kind of a waiting period. I went in and met, met with the doctor that kind of glued me back together when I was seven. And, um, from all the x-rays, we were hoping that due to my age and whatnot, there shouldn't be any osteoporosis. And, and so it was just kind of a cartilage problem and we'd get hip resurfacing. And, you know, he kind of said right away that that's not going to be an option for me. Um, that if we can do anything, it's going to be full hip replacement, um, mm. due to the fact that Pretty much when I was seven, I got ran over. My leg was torn off, and the pelvic was broken in 16 places, slit the, split the femoral artery. Um, oh, God. You must have been bleeding like Yeah. Um, and what they had to do is they pretty much just erased about three veins in my leg and used those to patch my femoral artery. So that leg has actually had compromised blood flow since I was seven. And that's oh. why it's, you know, the, the size isn't the same and things like that. And he's like, that bone itself hasn't had the blood flow for 27 years it should have. So that's likely compromised the bone structure. Um, so the next step is figuring out, he's like, if it's anything, it's going to be hip replacement and likely 
with a specialist like a Mayo Clinic or something like that due to the way the hip's shaped. And uh, he said it might be a case where we say, here's some physical therapy and a bunch of pills for the rest of your life. So that's the waiting game I'm in right now. Um, but I'm not stopping. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying, trying to get uh, change gears, motivate my training for something. I'm really thinking about it. You know, Lonnie kind of uh, enthused me. I'm not saying I'm going to step on a bodybuilding stage, but, I mean, it's been a long time since I got, like, stupid lean and see how Yeah, unveil it, man. Like, unveil it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of heading towards that, see if I can get down to something, you know, not, not like 5%. It. But it gives, I need I need to find a goal that I can do that doesn't hurt too much. And, you know, maybe just getting lean and big and messing with some weights that aren't aren't the weights I'm used to but can still, you know, put on some mass might be my next step. So Right. Well, you know what? When you look at the long haul, you know, there's ups and downs and you change gears for a while. And, you know, you come out the other side better in the end anyway. Yeah, you know, and so. it sounded kind of fun and, to, like you said, to unveil it and see what I can, you know, see if I can come out at like 230, 240 and just lean and ripped, you know, or something. No, I, I think that that's cool. Yeah, I, I'm doing a change of things, uh, pace myself too. My elbows, especially my right elbow, which was repaired, I was telling you guys before the podcast with the titanium and everything. Mm-hmm. It's invincible, but my other one, after years of tendonitis, now it's tendinosis, I'm sure, you know, sort of those fibers get scrambled a little, and it just hurts like hell. My forearms were hurting from, uh, you know, because when I was competing, that last six weeks before the competition, when my diet was so nutty low, you know, 1,600, 1,800 calories a day, and uh, I just, I, I had to keep training in the same repetitive movements, you know, and it just, I couldn't stop, and, you know, I knew I was, I was going to end up bad on the other end, and and I am, <laughs> so I'm going to have to do some other stuff myself. Do you, do you too, not but... feel a little bit better than you did a week or two ago? Oh, I do. I, I, I've only been going to the gym about once or twice a week, and not like the way you do it, Rob, twice a week, where you go in and you're, it's super high intensity. You know, I'm literally in there. The, the gym owner there, uh, his name is Jim, uh, funny enough, but he's um, he's laughing, kind of mocking me, saying, oh, Mr. Fitness Guy now, you know, because I'm running <laughs> on the treadmill and stuff, which is uh, – just you know, I'm just trying to. You know, I'm stretching. I'm trying to address all the aspects of fitness that I did not when I was so singular and single-minded for all those months. You know, so. Uh, but yeah, it's not. It's certainly not the long-term protracted thing that Phil's talking sure, my, about. So my wife was poking fun I, of me. I was, you know, I've just. I've been testing things out in the gym, and I. The other night, I spent about 25 minutes doing nothing but direct arm work, and I. I haven't heard the end of it yet, but. I'm I'm nice. sore like I haven't been sore in my arm. I think I got wrapped over <laughs> the bicep. <laughs> nice. Primping biceps pumper. Did you do it in the squat rack? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was curling dumbbells in the squat rack. It was bad. Right. <laughs> just just because you had to be in the vicinity of the squat rack. Yep, exactly. You're, you're just like standing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So. You know what? That's the good thing, though, about A, that there's... Um, you know, several different outlets for people who are interested in strength and muscle, um, from the aesthetic to the actual performance. And, and plus when you're somebody like, you know, Phil or us, you know, you, you have so much knowledge that you, you can not, not even really train around it, but kind of, you know, reprioritize what you're doing and, and, and still have some sort of goal that you can work towards that doesn't compromise you just, you know, not engaging in what you love anymore. Right. Well, that's where I'm at too. I, there's a, a local, there's a young bodybuilder guy here uh, over at the university, and he started it down at my gym. And I'm, 
I don't want him to be disappointed in the sense that, oh man, you know, whatever he thought about what, you know, Dr. Lowry does in the gym, he's, he's not getting to see it because for the next, I don't know how many weeks, I'm just going to be incredibly boring in what I'm doing. But like Phil says, there's got to be a valley on each side of a peak, you know, and I, I ex- overextended myself to such an ex- a point that there's going to be a valley here for a while, you know, so. But I'm actually looking forward to lifting heavier in the fall. Yeah, and, and you know, sometimes there's no really rhyme or reason why something's happening. Um, remember I was telling you, Lonnie, a couple weeks ago, I had a, what I thought was some sort of, you know, maybe pinched nerve or something on the, my left side of the scapula area. Um, yeah. And it, yep. it's been kind of goofing around for a couple months now, and it, it kind of came to a head a couple weeks ago. I was thinking, what the hell is this? You know, was this compression from the squat bar on my back? Is this, you know, something that I did in my deadlift? Um, yeah. And I don't know what happened, man. Like two or three days ago, it's like, you know, I, I tend to be Wolverine in these ways. You know, it'll just last and last and all of a sudden then within two days, it's, it's gone. And I don't. Right. Well, we've said this before, right? I think when you train for years and years, you get these compensatory systems. You, not, not only do you train your, re, your physical recovery ability, and I think we've talked about that before. I, just like a muscle size or muscle strength is trainable, I think up to a point, Recovery is trainable, and like you were saying, you get these, you know, maybe there's a sister or accessory muscle groups that help it along while you, you know, not train through it in a stupid way, but, you know, train around it, and somehow, yeah, I've noticed the same thing, and I am not a thick, robustly built dude. You guys are much bigger people than I am, but there's little doubt. You After years, you, you do become a little Wolverine-ish in your uh, regenerative well, abilities. That, it's weird because, you know, I was th- again, like I was saying, I was thinking it was either something that I pulled with a deadlift or, like, so a mightly, slightly pulled muscle in the in the back, just, or, or it was some sort of compressed nerve from the bar, you know, holding the squat bar wrong on my back. And I changed two things. And interesting that this is actually an interesting question because, uh, thing because we actually got an email this past week. I, th- I think I forwarded it to you guys. I can't remember. Yeah, we need to. We actually need to have an episode where we read a bunch yeah. of emails. Yeah, and he and he, um, one of our listeners, emailed me and said that he had um, shooting pains down one of his arms when he squats. Um, and I emailed him back and said, "It's, it's weird that you bring that up because I said, you know, because of what I'm dealing with. I said, you know, it, it sounds obviously like there's some sort of nerve nerve impingement or something. Not saying I'm a doctor, but um, anyway, my advice was to him was what I actually did a couple of days after I sent the advice to him, which is when I went to squat last week, I purposefully took a wider um, grip on the bar." And that seemed to have not only not bothered it, but started facilitating it, kind of alleviating. And then, strangely enough, when I went to deadlift for the first time in a few weeks because of that, on this just this past Sunday, um, <laughs> the deadlift seemed to have fixed it. Because as soon as I deadlifted, like that night and the next day, it, it was gone. So it's interesting. Sometimes you can be injured by weight training, and other time, and then and then the same movements seemingly sometimes can can heal you i i don't know it's very strange but um yeah so to that guy that emailed me yeah i i say the same thing even more strongly than i did when i emailed you which is yeah when you're squatting just just really experiment with where the bar placement is on your back and your hand spacing because i'll tell you hand spacing seems to have uh been something that i wasn't really paying attention to much before and it seems to have done something so well yeah so do you have access to a hammered bar or anything rob um, in my particular gym, no. Okay, no. I was gonna say that's a lot of people use those. Break, take a break from the straight bar to a cambered bar, and it, it'll really help or a safety squat bar. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, my challenge the past couple of two weeks, I'm trying not – now imagine, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to lift without grasping anything. So I'm doing pec deck. I'm doing that like, you know, the Nautilus lat pullover thing. I'm doing leg presses. It's, it, I must look retarded uh, <laughs> when I'm in the gym. But I'm, because when I squeeze my grip, even like in a bench press, you know, it reignites the inflammation and everything. But, yeah, it's going away fast. So I'm going to continue to do this for another week. The, the non-grip <laughs> lifting. Imagine. But, you know, it gave me a lot of appreciation for if, if you cut your hand or if you yeah. have a problem with your forearms, you're screwed, oh, yeah. right? That's our connection with the weights. Mm. I mean, if you have a biceps problem or a, a hamstring or whatever it is, you could kind of work around it. But when your connection to the bar or the dumbbell is shot, you're screwed. Yeah. Just a you know, just a thought for people out there. Take care of your hand, man. Thank your hands. Don't, <laughs> don't they have? Don't they have like a supple, supplemental equipment now that you can? It's like a hook. Don't they? Like gymnasts, I think use it. Where you put it on your wrist and it has like a hook on it that acts as as your hand kind of. Yeah, yeah. my my wife actually has some of those because she's got some problems with her wrists. I mean, but, I don't know. Uh, and you know, and I'm trying to like I grab I just grabbed some sixty pound dumbbells and I, I used you know wrist straps, strapped myself to them and just did them until I was blue in the face the other day. You know what I mean? But even that was uh, kind of questionable. So right. anyway, weird weird stuff going on. Okay, let's switch gears though. Um. I just wanted to make a few points about the recent ISSN meeting. Listeners of Iron Radio, you, you've been listening to uh, Joey Antonio, Dr. Antonio, at the end of our episodes announcing it. Well, it came to pass in Las Vegas, uh, and it was it was really fun. This is a great collection. I know Phil's been to one of these at least, and it's a great collection of sort of PhDs, but also practitioners, you know, like RDs or trainers, personal trainers, and just lay people who are interested. Uh, and that combination, I think, is fantastic for getting the, you know, the, sort of the education out to the public. A couple of things I just scribbled down. This is purely from memory. Uh, I know that Mike Nelson has on his blog, he's been on our show several times. He's, he'll, he'll have more info on his blog, I'm sure. But, um, uh, a couple of things here. Uh, there was a talk by Jacob Wilson. And he was looking at muscle wasting in the elderly, sarcopenia of aging. And some of the stuff that he was sharing with, which surprised me a little, was that um, it looks like if you're older, and now I don't just mean middle-aged probably, although we may be somewhere in the middle here, but older guys need more leucine to get some of the anabolic or, or at least anti-catabolic effects of leucine. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and he was also giving HMB a fair shake. Uh, for people who aren't familiar, HMB, uh, hydroxymethylbutyrate, it's a metabolite of leucine, and there are certain labs that, you know, feel that that's sort of almost, uh, you know, a, a, a mechanism or a reason that H, that, uh, rather, leucine works. Uh, in my understanding, it's always been sort of controversial. Some labs finding benefits, other labs not. But he, he, his talk was highly positive about leucine and HMB, uh, in the elderly and higher dose. Uh, than the usual, you know, three or four grams that you sometimes hear about. So that was interesting. There was a there was actually a talk by a non scientist. Uh, she she, she uh, describes herself as girl meets bug, and she's got a website by the same name. I think she's on Facebook. But the whole idea here is um, she's actually using I, I kid you not bugs as a source of protein, uh, showing that you know how sustainable it is and how eco friendly it is. 
Uh, it's incredibly cheap. And we were actually talking before the podcast. I'd love to see somebody put this in a bar or something because right now a lot of protein bars for listeners who aren't familiar are, it, are many of them are jacked full of collagen and gelatin, which are, you know, um, amino. There's only a handful of amino acids in those proteins. They're not complete proteins. They don't help you build muscle. And a lot of uh, pro, uh, protein bar companies put collagen and gelatin very high on the ingredients list. That's not a good sign. I mean, I don't want 12 of my 18 grams of protein in my bar to be useless. So I, I, I'm actually curious to see if this whole, you know, bug protein thing pans out. I mean, she had, of course, the typical kinds of stuff you might imagine, like the dried crickets and, and mealworms and all these kinds of things. And, but I, I actually think it'd be interesting because it, she, at least according to what she said in the hallway, they're rich in branch chain amino acids, including leucine. Um, bodybuilders were taking beta ecdysterone, which is sort of a weird bug type hormone substance a couple of years ago. Uh, not that I was really excited about that, but, but the point being is, you know, Hey, if it can, if you can have complete protein bars, and, you know, these things are essentially ground down into a powder in, in what I'm talking about anyway. It's not like you're going to have cricket legs stuck to your tongue or something. But oh. anyway, she was really into that. And it, it was, it, hey, it's thinking outside the yeah. box. I'm all for it. You know, uh, a couple of other things here. Uh, I shared some data on uh, protein. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I've been looking at with students in the past couple of years has been about protein and some of the uh, side effects thereof. Uh, of very high protein diets. And we've been looking at a group of bodybuilders and, uh, strongmen and strength athletes of different kinds of powerlifters, uh, who are eating 250 grams of protein a day. Um, they're over two and a half grams per, uh, kilo. So uh, really high protein intakes. Uh, self-report, it was limit, limited to that, but we looked at kidney function. We couldn't find anything with standard clinical test of kidney function. Now, who knows? Maybe in year 10 or 12, uh, beyond what we looked at, maybe everything goes to pot. I don't know. But we don't see anything with renal function problems. Uh, bone density is another thing you often hear about. And uh, if anything, they had denser bones. At the very least, they had equally dense bones. And, you know, these guys who seek lots of protein. And again, we're comparing weightlifters who do and do not go for the extra protein. So you can't say, oh, that's just because they lift weights. No, everybody's lifting weights. Everybody's busting their butt. They're all strength athletes. It's just some seek extra protein and some don't. Uh, and the one thing that we reported this time, which I haven't before, is the dehydration thing. Sometimes you'll hear that, oh, protein makes you dehydrated. Well, it is true that you pee more. I mean, the guys in our protein-seeking group, they did urinate like 1,800 cc, so almost two liters in 12 hours. And that's huge. I mean, the average person only, only pees about a liter and a half over 24 hours. Uh, but, but unless you withhold fluid at the mouth, it will not dehydrate you. And we actually looked at their urine, urine-specific gravity, and they weren't dehydrated. Um, and, you know, you'll hear similar things about coffee and caffeine. You know, the caffeine makes you urinate, so therefore it dehydrates you. No, coffee does not dehydrate you. And I'm here to tell you protein does not dehydrate you. Um, you know, short of being in some kind of bizarre experiment where they're withholding water from you or something. I don't know. Anyway, so some of that went down. Mike Nelson, who I mentioned earlier, he spoke on metabolic flexibility. Uh, his whole thing with that, he's been on the podcast before, that we really should be good at metabolizing fats and carbs. And unfortunately, if you don't eat any fat in your diet, for example, you actually lose some of the ability to burn that fat. Uh, so 
he's a big fan of you know for a, from a survival perspective and this could be relevant to military personnel or anybody who you know just wants to be as biologically fit as possible to you know eat a variety of carbs and fats along with your protein uh and you know make sure you can burn both kinds of fuel it's almost like teaching a car you know we're so adaptable we can be both diesel and gasoline burners well he he's a big fan of of both you know eat both eat both carbs and fats so you can burn both carbs and fats and then exercise accordingly so pretty cool stuff um tim ziegenfuss is a phd exercise phys guy he gave a talk on adipokines and i might even have him on the podcast in the future um to talk about that adipokine a lot of people don't realize they, they look at body fat like it's a gas tank it's not. It's not just a triglyceride gas tank to store your fat. Your your body fat actually secretes different hormone-like substances, uh, and it's much more alive than you might think. So we might have him on in a future episode to talk about that stuff. Roger Harris, who's a very famous uh, uh, guy in the sports nutrition and supplement world, he was you know his lab was one of the original labs to bring us creatine, actually, uh, and he's really still big into beta alanine. Beta alanine becomes carnosine in the body, um, and carnosine is a muscle acidity buffer. It's an anti-glycating agent, so it keeps you from the carbs in your body from gumming up different proteins. Lab animals who are given carnosine or uh, you know have more carnosine in their bodies, they live much longer. Uh, so it's a longevity agent too. Uh, but anyway, athletes, of course, are interested in beta alanine because it's sort of an acidity buffer, among other things, antioxidant qualities, things like that. It can help with recovery, repeat explosive performance. In some ways, it's like creatine with the whole, you know, helping repeat explosive performance. But there was tons of data at ISSN on beta alanine, and the literature is far more developed than I thought. Uh, there's a lot of good evidence, most of it positive uh, with this stuff. So. Uh, something to keep in mind. Of course, if you overdo beta alanine, if you take too much, I, I'm very sensitive to this. I take more than a few grams and I get the peristesis, it's called, you know, that tingling. Uh, you get really strong tingling because some of the nerves that are affected, they embed in your, you know, cutaneous tissues and make you tingle. Can but that also happen with taking too much potassium? I haven't heard about it with potassium. Uh, I, I know that you can get flushing if you take too much niacin, if there's also niacin in that potassium. Okay, that, that's what it was then. Because I remember, I remember years and years ago, this is probably like the you know 1990-ish, <laughs> me and my buddy went to this supplement outlet place that they used to have up here in Toronto. And we bought, we, I don't know, we, we read some stupid article in probably Muscle Fitness or something about, yeah, like, and so we bought this big thing that was these pills of, and they were, they, they were flavored like chocolate for potassium. Yeah. And yeah. we started like um, driving around his old Trans Am, like, and they tasted really good. So we were like popping them like candy, and both him and I were tingling, and we, our faces were, were, were like dead red, and we were like, "Oh, that's the niacin." There must have been some of the B yeah, vitamins, there was, like niacin steam coming off yeah, our B3. heads. It was it was pretty rough, man. It was. Yeah, that's not well. That's remember a few weeks ago we were laughing about some of the guys backstage, the niacin dealer who was handing out the niacin. Everybody thinks they're going to get like a big vascular pump, and instead their faces are purple and <laughs> you know they're sweating off their fake tan. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I did that too when I was young. I got excited about oh niacin can you know lower my blood cholesterol or something. I don't know why I was pumped up about that because I have almost I have a family history of low cholesterol. <laughs> But I went, I got real excited. Yeah, if you take the RDA level of niacin, if you take you know a dozen, two dozen well, milligrams, of that stuff, not a problem. 
But at high doses, you get that niacin flush. And not only that, I think people need to realize, too, niacin is not the kind of stuff I'd be taking before a workout uh, if my goal was fat burning. Niacin potently blocks fat breakdown and mobilization from tissues oh. when you take it in hundreds of milligrams. I once knew a track coach who was giving it to all his girls. This is an NCA Division I co- collegiate program having all his girls take niacin because sometimes they put it in stimulant products because – you know, they want tingling along with the the caffeine buzz or whatever. And I'm like, you know, normally I'm very PC about it. I'm like, well, let's take a look at why you're doing that. I just came out and said that. I'm sorry, dude. That is the opposite <laughs> of what you got to, you know, get the girls off the niacin. Now it's blocking any kind of fat loss. It's 100% not non-conducive to what your goal wow. is. But again, I don't want people thinking this. this is if you take hundreds of milligrams to get that kind of flush. But yeah, other things give you a flush like beta alanine. Yeah. And then just to wrap up here, I, I had lunch with Lou Schuler. He's working on a new book with Wolfgang Puck, of all people, like a fitness and nutrition type book, which is cool. I hope I'm allowed to say that, Lou. Um, but it's always good. He's one of the few true journalists. Uh, you know, of course, in the fitness industry, you have, you know, a lot of the science guys aren't real scientists and a lot of the writers aren't real writers. So I always appreciate when I meet someone like, like Lou, who's legitimate. Uh, anyway, and then, uh, I guess I could just point everybody to the ISSN website, the International Society of Sports Nutrition. Uh, they have pictures from the event, and sometimes that says more than anything else. Uh, it's really a fun event. You know, there's one of the evenings they have like you know free uh, like open bar and, and and a meal and things like that. Very cool uh, kind of stuff, especially nowadays when everybody's you know pinching their uh, wallet so tightly and everything. But ISSN website, uh, Google it. And, you know, some good stuff going on there. Right so. on. Okay. Hey, I, I also want to throw something out to anybody, any of our listeners uh, themselves, or if our listeners know people that might have any sort of, it could be supplements or equipment, we're more than happy to review and discuss anything that anybody potentially wants to send in um, product-wise that has anything to do with fitness and bodybuilding and strength training. Um I just thought it would be kind of cool, you know, if, if somebody has a, a product or a book or a supplement or anything that they want, you know, to, to kind of spread the word about. We're, we're more than willing to talk about it on, on the air and, uh, you know, give our two cents. And, and if anybody is interested in that, um, I would just uh, direct them to the ironradio.org website and they can contact us through there, um, at which point we'll email them with, uh, you know, addresses to send the products and so forth. Right. No, that's a great point because... Uh that's one of the things that I, I – on my list of to-do things for Iron Radio, I'd love to do things like um, product reviews, and that could be equipment or uh, you know like a protein bar taste test. Or you know what? For that matter, I wouldn't care if we did a beer taste test or something. <laughs> I don't yeah, care. Yeah, we'll all get like, hammered uh, on the show. Well, I, I, I've, I've, I've listened to podcasts where the guys do that. You know, they're like doing beer taste, like you know, they're, they're Guinness Stout type stuff, and they're, they're beer tasting, and things just go south. <laughs> I don't know, but but anyway, yeah, I think it'd be fun to be able to do that. We give some people, you know, unbiased opinions, uh, and you know, we try to have a no hate uh, outlook here, even though we, you know, we're critical of the idiocy when it when it occurs. But but yeah, I, I, that's a great idea. There. Yeah, it would be fun. Okay, well, let's let's go ahead and break for some messages, uh, and then we'll come back with a little bit more uh, talking shop. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, 
We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. Uh, there's currently one running on tnation.com about how to decide when to do more exercise versus diet when you're trying to lean out during those times of the year. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. And we're back. What we're going to do for the rest of this uh, call is Rob and I are just going to talk about something. Actually, a student asked me recently, and I got a similar email, uh, which is essentially, what do you take into the gym? Or, you know, what's in your gym bag? Uh, so I think Rob and I, for just for the next couple of minutes, we're going to talk about that kind of thing. Like, what do we take to the gym? Several guys have asked us how we prepare specifically for events, and we might get into that one day too. But for right now, just sort of informally, uh, you know, what's the kind of thing that, experienced guys take into the gym. Uh, and even we'll talk a little bit about, about music. Rob is a real connoisseur of uh, all things metal. And we could talk just about what we're listening to and what we've got in our bags and stuff lately. And then after that, I'm going to just sort of um, leave listeners with some quotes, some audio from the ISSN meeting. I actually tried to take a couple of clips uh, from some of the talks, some of which are very interesting. I hope they recorded well. Uh, but for right now, Rob, so uh, let me just ask you this. Do you take a bag to the gym, or do you just go empty-handed? No, or I, I Pretty much entirely since I switched to fully to powerlifting several years ago, I am never really on the gym floor without a gym bag. And I think I, think I, I speak for probably a lot of powerlifters and you know, pure strength athletes in that. When I was a... When I trained as a bodybuilder, I would always have a bag that I would take to the gym, sure, but, you know, I would always really um, leave that, you know, either in the car or in a locker, you know, and then just take onto the floor what I needed, you know, be it the, you know, bodybuilding belt or a pair of wrist straps or something like that. Right. But as a powerlifter, I, I think, and like I say, I really don't think I'm probably unusual with this at all. I think most powerlifters are probably the same. Um Unless their gym has specific rules that you can't actually have a bag out there, I mean, you just you just kind of have to have it, right? Because you'll have your belt in there, you'll have maybe a different, you know, a, a specific set of shoes for <laughs> a specific exercise, um, you know, any number of these types of things. And, and I mean, to to uh, give an example of what I'm talking about, I could say what's in my bag right now. Um, 
and I always have this. I mean, I always squat and work boots, always. Um, so on any day that I'm squatting, which is, you know, one or two days a week, I always have those in there. Um, so, and those are pretty heavy by themselves, right? A big pair of steel toe work boots. Yeah, right. Um, you know, my powerlifting belt, which is, you know, the big thick one, not a bodybuilding belt, but a powerlifting belt. Um, maybe some wrist wraps in case, um, in case I, I want them, which I don't use them very often, but I usually like to just have them. Um, and then on any given time, I might have, you know, uh, knee wraps in there, which I don't use a lot, but I might just have them with me. Um, wrist straps, which I will use quite a bit when I'm not doing deadlifts. Um, and usually I have a calculator, strangely enough. Oh, yeah? And again, I don't think this is unusual for maybe some powerlifters that do the same thing because powerlifters obviously um, work a lot on percentages and that type of thing. Um, so I always like to have, I always have a calculator with me so I can just, um, hit some numbers if I'm trying to, uh, you know, um, manipulate a number here or there based on the day or figure something out. Um, what else do I have? I'll usually have the latest issue of Powerlifting USA thrown in there because powerlifters tend to spend five, ten minutes between sets <laughs> versus yeah. bodybuilding where you're, you know, taking maybe two or three minutes between sets. Well, you said you like to disengage between sets. A yeah, bit. and absolutely. I, I'm not the kind of person who can wait ten minutes and just, you know, be focusing 100% because by the time you get to the set, you're so burnt out, you know, um, or you've psyched yourself out because you've been standing, sitting there, sit, you know, staring at a 600-pound barbell for ten minutes. Um, so, yeah. What about, what about headphones? Do you listen to headphones? Um, I never wear a pair of headphones when I'm training. That's interesting because only, I almost always Yeah, do. and it's only because I just don't like things hanging off me. Um, and I, I find that I've, you know, in in the past, I've, I've destroyed more pairs of hair, headphones than that. Yanking, I have too, yeah. <laughs> yank, you know, yanking them out and getting my elbow or something caught in them. And it, it just starts pissing me off. After Actually, let me give a tip to everybody who haven't, maybe hasn't thought of this, but Put your MP3 player or whatever, run it down your shirt and into your, you know, like sweatpants pocket or something, or tuck it into the side of your, you know, like sometimes they were like Under Armour things under my sweatpants or something. But it, you, you don't have to have that cord wagging out. It was actually years after I started using headphones that I thought, why am I not running this down under my collar, under my shirt? I suppose you could even run the cord down your back. You know? Yeah, was, I don't know. It just it totally keeps it out of the way, and it works for me. Yeah. So, well, my anyway. whole thing is this. I mean, if I had my preference, I would have heavy metal playing over the sound system at the gym. Unfortunately, the gym I'm at, while it's a reasonably hardcore gym, the owner is insistent, no matter how many times I've told him, to, you know, could you please play something at least partially that's rock once in a while? He, he seems to always have it stuck to that, you know... Um, syndicated radio show that Ryan Seacrest does out of oh, Los yeah. Angeles that you know they play every Katy Perry single and Lady Gaga oh, single God. you know every you know same song like every 20 minutes is the same song repeating so no right yeah, yeah very sh- small list rotating constantly right. um, and you know what thank God Jim down at my my place there boardwalk he uh he plays stuff that's so good. I, sometimes I question why I have headphones, except I like them quite loud. I know that makes me a bad person for you know listening to stuff really loud from a you know ear health perspective. But anyway, yeah, he plays the satellite uh, station. Uh, it's called the Boneyard. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. It actually, yeah, it's a lot of like it's like '90s metal, and it's funny to look at '90s. Young guys are looking at '90s stuff like it's. You know, yeah. uh, classic rock, or I forget <laughs> what they call it, classic metal or something. I'm like, oh, well, okay, but yeah, it's so good that yeah, it's it's just right up my alley with some of that stuff. So 
I mean, I, I, I obviously listen, you know, my, I, I've always actually preferred having a gym that I have to drive 10, 15 minutes away to because, I, I mean, that's a very important time for me, as you know, Lonnie, when I, you know, I absolutely do listen to uh, a very specific selection. Um, and that, you know, honestly, Rob, that's why we're going to have a psych episode coming up soon because, yeah, totally I'd like to talk. I know you and I spoke about that on um, – Experiments versus experience, which is on the ironradio.org website in the archives. But yeah, I think you and Phil and I totally have to talk about that because, yeah, like you said, from the time in the apartment before you leave or, or you know, in the car, absolutely, we got to talk about this stuff. But tell, tell us, tell us, Lonnie, a little bit about your uh, gym bag. What do you do? Do you bring it right in with you, and what kind of stuff do you have? Yeah, I, I have a, I actually ditched the big gym bag for sort of one of those, you know, tri-corner bag things, you know, just the sort of little things. Because, I mean, I've got knee wraps in there. I've got wrist straps, which have been critical to me lately because of my wacky, you know, uh, lifting issues, trying to spare my forearms for a couple of weeks. But um, I usually have my MP3 player, you know, loaded with stuff. Uh, By the way, when we do the psych episode, I think that's what we need to do is actually have – you know, uh, some lists. We'll actually give you some listening list, and then on on the Iron Radio YouTube page, which is under Lawn Man Seven, it's sort of me being a fan of Iron Radio. We, we'll probably make another page in the future, but Iron yeah. Radio and Lawn Man Seven will put the videos up. Like I put up an Amon Amarth video. Already. You know what? That's a great idea. That's a great idea. We should like you know because I could I could certainly do a, you know my selection of the week or something like that and. Certainly, everybody has different tastes, and I'm not suggesting that you know you, you try and forcibly <laughs> try and list like something that that you don't like. But um, I, I don't think it's unusual at all for people who are hardcore, you know, bodybuilder strength athletes to <clears throat> like hard rock, heavy metal stuff. I'm, yeah, you know, I, I, obviously there's lots of guys out there who are you know big time in the rap stuff and in some of the more harder electronic dance musics. For sure, but um, right. I'll even listen to or- orchestral stuff sometimes. It can be very powerful, absolutely. I, th- I think the whole Classical. point. The, the whole point is, I mean, and I've heard lots of people who aren't necessarily hardcore bodybuilder strength athletes who, who you know, like upbeat dance music and stuff. But um, certainly, if you, I mean, in, in the world of powerlifting, if you look at, I mean, even at some meets, of course, they play music while people are um, lifting weights, and it's it's always heavy metal. So. Yeah, you know, and it it just really lends itself well, you know, heavy iron, heavy metal, and it's just you know it's powerful, it's loud, it's um, you know, it's the subject matter is usually exactly. I I was just going to say that yeah, the subject matter when you're talking about uh, you know, uh, heroic battles in Valhalla and stuff, how can that not motivate you, you know, to uh, to become aggressive? And I'll tell you what too, on T Nation a couple of weeks ago, a guy made a comment. I made a comment about you know. Competing against you know other men and having the courage to compete uh, right. is like battle, and he really didn't like that at all. He's like, let's not say that. That's not real. You know, that's it's like, listen, I'm not a member of the armed forces, but I do. It depends on how much you invest yourself in something, and I still argue that if you invest yourself in something fully and you put your ass on the line, it takes a lot of courage, and it is a lot like battle. A lot of us don't do things like, you know, serve a tour in Afghanistan or something like that. I totally respect those guys, but you're talking about something different. So I think we need I'm to sort of get who, off the high horse a little bit. Yeah, there. Who, sorry, who was it who said that he objected to you saying that? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Somebody, uh, it was just on the T Nation website. He oh. just, and I, I can see his point. I really can't. But at the same time, 
I know, Rob, you and I both, we've been in real life or death situations where people have knives or guns and you're literally fighting for your life. And I can tell people that when I compete, I am that deadly serious. So maybe some people don't take it as seriously. Well, you know, as I I'm, I'm going to be. But I'm talking about my, my, my persona, my inner person, my ego's on the line. I mean, this is, it's true. If I lose, I'm not dead. I totally get that. But I would still argue that it is a lot like modern day. Uh, battle and all depends on how you know how seriously you take it. I guess. Listen, the bottom line is I, I actually take offense to the person who said that to you. To be honest with you, screw him. I, I, I mean, seriously, screw him. If he if that's his opinion, he's entitled to it. But in my opinion, in my world, screw that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I don't like this whole idea that you know it's it's like. What bigger purpose? I mean, you're saying, okay, fight a warrior, soldier, whatever like that, and you're fighting for a purpose. Well, you're always fighting, you know, what, what bigger and greater purpose is there than you yourself and fighting a battle within, within yourself to try and, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. It just, yeah. Well, and, and like you said, and we started this whole little sidebar because of, you know, the kind of music we listen to. And maybe that's another reason that I associate it with battle and war so much, too, is because most of the subject matter of metal, like you said, is grisly stuff. You know, it's it's very aggressive stuff, and I do think it's an outlet. Yeah, and somebody made a good point, and it's something that I've been talking about for several years, and I know you, your wife talked about it with you, too. It's a whole idea that... You know, I mean, our society is really trying to emasculate us now. I mean, the whole idea of being, I, I, one of our guests several weeks ago actually made the point that it's interesting that, you know, the very thing, the, the essence of man, manliness or manhood um, is, is a federal offense, you know, testosterone. So, right. Yeah. You know, and so I, I actually take offense to anybody who tries to, you know, completely suppress or extinguish, you know, a, a modern male's attempt to, in some facet of his life, you know, um, be, you know, w what inherently we have sub been for thousands of years, you know, and, right. um, you know, not all of us are going to go fight a war and let's be realistic. Most of the wars that people, that our soldiers are fighting these days are questionable at best. And like you said, I'll say the same thing. This is not to disrespect anybody who are in the armed services. I'm not doing that at all. Um, yeah. what I am saying is, again, I think all of us can agree that a majority of those type of conflicts these days are at at best questionable. Well, and um, I'll, I'll, my point about the gym, you know, and we were talking about what's in our gym bag, how we prepare and how we psych up and everything. Yeah. Uh, my point with a lot of that is, you know, when, when you take it deadly serious, I mean, if someone were to come up to you and start some, you know, being stupid and frivolous while you were literally turning red and steam's coming out of your ears as you're about to get under the bar, you know what I mean? You would rip his head off. I mean, you know, not to sound like a jerk, but, you know, it is a deadly, serious time. Well, I can tell and you. Maybe yeah. some guys who lift don't look at it the same way I do. I don't know. But. Okay, as, as far as I'm concerned, you put 700 pounds on your back, you're fighting a war. And you got to be as serious as fighting a war. Because, yeah, you make a slight shift. And, you know, best case scenario, you're out for a few months. Worst case scenario, you're not lifting ever again. Well, right. It's true. It, it could actually be more catastrophic than some people think. Like I said, maybe it depends on how they lift or how they look at it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, we're, the kind of training that we're talking about is not what, you know, most commercial gyms are, you know, the, the proponents of, you know, 99% of those kind of people who are exercisers. Like we always discuss here, there's two different types of people. There's... You know, exercises work out. Athletes train. Yeah. And that's not saying that there's, you know, what, you know, the, the people who are training, um, 
you know, are, are better than the people who are just working out. What I am saying no, is... No, but... Right, the, it's the your threat, salient identity. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just the threat level to your well-being physically. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously a much different um, status, you know, versus one guy, who, a middle-aged guy who's just doing it for fitness and doing some leg extensions and some, you know, light hack squats versus some guy over the corner trying to, you know, like I said, having several hundred pounds on his back or trying to lift several hundred pounds off the floor. I mean... You know, I mean, lots of things can go bad at that point. So right. well, the bottom line is we all have one life and training and competing, you know, they forge something new in your character. And like we're talking about, you know, with 700 pounds or no, I, my, the heaviest I ever squat nowadays, I'll put 405 on the bar, but that's why I have knee wraps in my bag. Just to go back to the bag thing and everything and what I take to the gym, I have a drink. I also have a drink I didn't mention too. I almost always have some kind of like uh you know, whey or some leucine whey, you know, mix, not real strong or thick, but usually like juice, you know, real dilute, juicy kind of thing. But that's all part of the ritual. And I think we'll talk about that in, you know, a psych up episode, but it's yeah. all part of the ritual. I mean, when I, when I get ready to squat, you know, I work up to a, you know, a, a set with 405. And if I'm going to get six or eight or 10 reps with that, yes, I wrap my whole body is shaking under a bar that heavy. You know, and uh, so I got the headphones blasted. I got the knee ramps on. I also use a belt, but I actually don't use a power belt. I use just one of the what you would probably consider wimpy well, leather no, bodybuilding belt. They're not wimpy. They're, they're they're just more practical for more a lot of bodybuilding type training. Yeah. You know? Well, and you know, I tend to wear that a lot in the gym. I know some people say, "Oh, if you wear a belt all the time, it weakens your postural muscles." And oh, hell with that. I, it's not like I always have it cinched down, but I can tell you when I leave the gym, sometimes my wife will say, "My God, Lonnie," because I've got I'm black and blue around my waist because I cranked the belt down so far or my knee wraps so tight. And I know some listeners probably understand that when the adrenaline is flowing that hard, and you know. Uh, whether it's imagined or not, or you know whatever, when you are in that sort of battle-like situation with that much weight on your back, the adrenaline's flowing. You don't feel it, you know. And afterwards, I'm like, my God, I guess I did just bruise the hell out of myself there. But it does right. sort of it does sort of illustrate how uh, you know serious it is. I don't know. It's deadly serious to me. Well, that's the, that's the whole thing. I think that's and that's that is what's going to separate the people who are doing extraordinary things not only in our avenue of physical pursuit, but I think any pursuit right ever that anybody would ever do. I think I think the great achievements are done by people who are deadly serious about what they're doing. Now, of course, you're always going to have the occasional person who flukes onto something or does something remarkable and they weren't really trying. But, you know, people right. who really ex achieve extraordinary things, usually, like like you, to use your terminology, are dead serious about what they do. Right. You know, and they're... Well, it's, it's, it, it's sort of Buddhist, but not just. It's, you know, that you, uh, you know, anything, any kind of true satisfaction in the end requires sacrifice, requires some kind of, you know... In the present moment, you know, effort, seriousness. If, yeah. yeah, if everything's frivolous, you know, then even if you win first place, what, what, how does that really feel? Not, not so great. I Listen, I, I got a big squat day tomorrow, okay? And I've been thinking about it for the last several days. And, yes. And today, you sound like Tom Platt. Well, no, but I mean, and he actually told us, and, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, he said it at one point to me. The reality of the situation is, yeah, I'm thinking about tomorrow big time, and there's, I don't, I, I wouldn't call it fear, but there's certain, there's definitely an apprehension about it, 
you know, because it's like I have a specific number I want to hit, you know, for, for it, with a, a certain standard of performance. I think you're hitting on it. Maybe it's because you and I look at failure not unlike death. You know, it's not an option. Well, that's <laughs> it's not wanna, an option. I mean, it's so important, too, when you're a powerlifter or a strength athlete, performance athlete, you know, that you hit your numbers and do what you're supposed to do, right? Because it's not only a – it's – it's probably as equal to, if not greater, um, that psychologically, you know, that you that you actually achieve what you're. That's right, and I think, uh, yeah, right. It, it could be psychologically damaging if you if you fail, well, you course, know, because I, I mean, cause it throws your whole progressive resistance concept out of whack. How can you be progressing if you with you know a string of failures? And it's, you know, psychologically, it's that's it's sort of brutal. I mean, and that's that's the whole thing that I kind of, you know, I I, I sometimes I, you know. Um, I'm nostalgic for the days when I'd go in the gym and, you know, I, I always, obviously I always was pushing myself, but I didn't, didn't really have in my head a specific number and marker that I had to do, right? Like two sets of this much reps with this weight, period. You know, and, you know, if it was a bad day or a good day, you switch exercises, you do this. I mean, if, you know what I mean? You always try and lift as heavy as you can by, and that's all well and good too, but I'm telling you, sometimes it gets stressful, man, when you're, when you're always, every time you go in the gym, you're there specifically to do something specific, um, and, and that that in in and of itself can be psychologically um, stressful, you know, because you're always looking forward to that next day or two down the line, or it's like, okay, now what's up, right? Um, kind of a thing. And, and no, I hear you. When it comes to movements like the squat, too, to, for me, that's always been a performance movement. It's not like direct arm work like you know i'm not trying to use more and more weight or get a certain number of reps when i do curls i'm certainly not busting out a calculator you know as a bodybuilder but i am telling you that the squat is a sacred performance-based movement in fact sometimes to my detriment because i like to sort of power squat you know i i sit real deep into the squat um and it's sometimes i think well maybe i should lighten up a little and do a little bit more Olympic style, as, as you know, you call it, with your knees a little closer together and focus on the quads a bit more. But I've always looked at the squat like to, a total power movement, and I am there to, you know, absolutely. If, if my goal is, say, listen, I'm, get, I'm getting eight with 405 today, then God damn it, I'm going to do that. Well, you that's know the whole I mean? thing, yeah. And, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's not a calculation. It's not like if I don't do that, and you know, because oh, next week I have to get nine. Or it's not like a weight progression toward a... You know, uh, a, a power competition, but it's in that it, it, there are certain things in the gym that are simply about the performance and not just about getting some muscle pump. Well, and I think that's where power bodybuilders differ from, you know, from other types of bodybuilders. Absolutely. And to bring Platz's name up again, he, you know, he once told me that there's no, he never went into the gym thinking the squat was an exercise. To him, the squat was a sport. And, and, you know, I, I extrapolate from that and consider, several different movements to be sports in and of themselves. There's accessory exercises, exercises, and then there's sport, deadlifts, bench presses, squats. I mean, I can sit when I go in there and somebody says, the, the, the shifting mentality is, you know, what do you train today? I don't say chest anymore. I'm doing bench, you know? What do you train Absolutely, today? Absolutely, right. I'm yep. not doing lower body or legs. I'm doing the squat. And even when I was a bodybuilder, I always kind of used to consider it like that. Well, you know, like I'm going in today and... I'm training the squat first, right? Everything that I do after that, accessory-wise, cool. But, you know, during that, mo that that time that I'm actually squatting or deadlifting or benching or something, that that's the sport that I'm engaged in at that moment. Wouldn't right. you say that just lends a bit more meaning to your training, though? I mean, oh, Phil's back. Yeah, Great. I'm back, man. 
<laughs> I can't believe you guys are still talking. Yeah, we're just yapping here. Well, we, we started talking about what's in our gym bags and stuff. We thought we'd just talk shop a little bit, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, we got on, we got sort of off on a discussion again, as we're prone to do about, you know, uh, refusing to be suppressed as, as males or as warriors in a modern world. <laughs> oh, boy. No, I know. I, I, actually, I was going to try to cut Rob off because I'm starting to get pumped up and I don't want to, <laughs> that's not my goal right now this afternoon. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, um, well, Phil comes on for the last few seconds here. There but you go. I'm here to say goodbye. There you are. So, uh, But I do want to reiterate to people out there, anybody who has a product or knows somebody who has a product, be it supplements or exercise equipment or books or anything that relates to the field that, that we uh, talk about and discuss here on Iron Radio, um, contact us again through ironradar.org, our website, and we will uh, provide you with the uh, required address addresses uh, to send that, and we'll be more than happy to uh, discuss it, review it, uh, mention it on the show. So there you right go. Right on. And, and again, listeners, stay around uh, after we sign off here. And uh, again, I'll offer a few of the audio quotes from the ISSN meeting because there's some very cool stuff on. Uh, oh, it was just a variety of topics, you know, uh, from beta alanine to like one thing I learned: beta alanine apparently um, is partly a hangover cure. Believe it or not, and I can, you know, maybe I'll, I'll share that clip. Uh, that's sort of, you know, off topic in a way, but I'll share some clips when we're done here. Okay, guys. Been good. Good Been show. Fun. All right, folks. Well, that's another uh, episode of Iron Radio. Thanks for listening, and uh, we will have, again contact us within anything questions. Actually, if you want to send on e- any emails to us and tell us what's in your gym bag, go ahead. Um, you know, oh, yeah, good idea. We, we could learn something, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you have something funny. Actually, go through anybody out there who's had a gym bag hanging around that you've been using for several years. Go and stick your hand in the various pockets. See if you can find any weird stuff. And if you have any weird, funny stuff in there that kind of made you giggle, send it to us, and uh, and we'll mention it on air. Oh, you know what? Now, see, I'm trying to sign off here. Now you've got me thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I, pull, I reached in my gym bag just yesterday and I pulled out – I when I was putting together my posing routine last fall, I tend to sit down and jot down stick figure, you know, like poses. Okay. And how I'm going to transition between each one, and that was still in there. I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to keep that little wrinkled wad of paper. It has meaning to me we now. You sell know? that for millions later. That's right. <laughs> here's, yeah, here's the posing routine. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, you, you got to choreograph it starting somewhere. Yeah. But the other thing I was going to say is, Rob, if you remember, we're talking about gym bags. I still – have that gym bag from when that first international congress on uh, weightlifting and oh, strength man. training that was in Lati, Finland. And listeners, you don't know the backstory, but uh, I told Rob if he squats 700 or benches five, he gets it. And so I still have it, brother. I'm getting it's close. Still waiting. I'm getting and you are close. Yeah. You weren't as close then, but you are close now. You're going to take the bag from me. I can Absolutely. feel it. Just dust it. Just make and that's sure. irreplaceable. That's from the late 90s. That is mint condition. I did use it a few times at kendo practice. But... Oh, here it is. <laughs> it's just but no, no, it is pristine. And uh, yeah, you can take that into the gym with pride. I'm telling you. Sweet. Anyway, all right, Ben. All right, guys. Thanks everybody guys. for listening. Later. Thanks a lot. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, 
please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need. which in many ways was the uh, cradle of exercise biochemistry as we know it today. I'm going to fast forward a little because Roger's really done quite a few things. Um, this ultimately set the seed for studies in the 1990s resulting in the description of creatine loading in muscle. This was Harris et al. Uh, 1992. And then later in the mid-2000s, to carnosine elevation vis-a-vis beta-alanine supplementation. This is Harris et al. 2006. So this man to my right has done some of the seminal work in two of the most important supplements uh, in, in, in our category, creatine monohydrate and, and beta-alanine. And one of the reasons I invited him here, because he's one of the smartest guys in the world, certainly in this category, he will not disappoint. But also one other thing, and this is a, a surprise for Dr. Harris, the ISSN wants to present to him the very first Lifetime Achievement Award. And I want you guys to give a warm round of applause to Dr. Roger Harris for being the first We know creatine is present in most meats, uh, chicken, pheasant, rabbit, salmon, tuna, these are particularly high in creatine, uh, and as we eat creatine uh, in our diet, we will take it in. Of course, if we cook our meat and boil it, then don't forget the creatine is in the gravy, not in the meat itself. So drink the gravy and you'll throw the meat away. Dietary <laughs> <laughs> intakes, vegetarians, zero gram per day. The average European US diet, somewhere between a half gram, four grams a day. Prehistoric man, nomadic people, People even just three, four hundred years ago, on the steppes of Russia, in Europe, the Mongols, a diet almost based entirely on meat. There was no farming, there was no vegetation, which they particularly favoured. It is predominantly a meat-based diet. Goat in the morning for breakfast, lamb at lunchtime, goat again in the evening, the probably supper lamb. Um, this is a high meat diet. Nothing similar to what prehistoric man probably had in Northern Europe, Northern Asia, at the end of the Ice Age. And the levels of, in this case, would be close to those of a carnivorous animal with our body weight intake. Uh, so around about five plus grams a day. So creatine, in fairly high levels, has been part of our diet. 
And this uh, was actually one of the major things discussed at the Cretan meeting. Uh, remember that the modern diet in man, if we think of 5,000 years since we started cooking food, that's just 250 generations. I don't know how many people here. 200, 150? So you could be my grandparents sitting in front of me. And that's just about all that would be taking us all the way back to, say, the year 4000, 2000 BC. It's not very many. Modern man evolved 50,000 years ago. That's an extra 2,250 generations. During that time, they would have had a pretty intake more similar to the, the values we're talking about in, in supplementation. And Neanderthal, man, again, are still on the hominid line, probably an extra 4,000 generations on top. So we're talking about a modern diet of 250 generations versus the diet that we evolved with, with 6,000 generations prior to that. And it's important to talk about that because obviously the Neanderthal diet and probably the diet of tribes and the steppes is not the best diet. But be careful, we don't eliminate some things which are potentially quite important. And the reason this discussion came about was the realization that creatine may also be a factor in the development of fetus. Fetus cannot make its own creatine. It gets its creatine from placental transfer. It needs it for normal muscle development and for brain development. Then, after birth, there is a period, again, which creatine is very difficult to make. Creatine is in the milk, being supplied. But what about those children who are receiving soil-based artificial milk products? These are deficient in creatine. These children do not have creatine at all in their diet, and yet it's a major component, an important component, for normal brain development. So this is why this topic uh, became an issue. Given four times a day, with the same dose given as one gram for 20 times a day. And what you find is the urinary spillover, that is the amount which is eliminated through the urine, is now reduced even for the same dose. That means you're getting 100% absorption, but you're getting more retention in muscle, unless it's been eliminated. So if you can possibly organize to take, if you are taking creatine supplements, the ideal is to try to take it in as smaller doses, but as frequently as possible. And if you can possibly find a way to take one gram 20 times a day, you will retain more of that creatine uh, than if you were to take five grams four times a day. And another bonus is that creatine ingestion is associated with formation of methylamine and formaldehyde. Um, there's been quite a lot of discussion recently about the potential of this because they are, have a potentially carcinogenic effects, but these occur in very, very low concentrations. The amounts liberated uh, with creatine ingestion very low. Nonetheless, by taking the creatine in much lower doses, the same dose but much more frequently in low doses, you can halve, in fact you can reduce the methylamine signature down to about a third. So this is a very good reason for the development of slow-release creatine formulations as opposed to normal creatine powder. The simple inclusion of meat and diet will almost double the, the level of muscle carnitine present. And on the right hand side we had a group of Australians 
these were women and these were women. Of these Australian or highly teeter, you notice enormous standard deviation. I suppose not everybody was a high meat eater, but these are individuals from a culture, a barbecue culture, which ate uh, huge quantities of meat, and I suspect some of the American people here your very large meals, meat proportions. They follow some of those Australians. There are studies, however, which indicate that over time, chronic training will result in higher levels. Podcast back in 1985, and then Talon showing uh, uh, almost a doubling, both of those studies, almost a doubling in the carnitine level in non-supplemented, non-beat other than supplemented subjects. Uh, and also a study on uh, speed skaters, again showing together with muscle hypertrophy of muscle, uh, a very uh, marked increase in the muscle carnitine complex. Anyway, I haven't been able to tell athletes how much is too much from a safety perspective. How much would stress your kidneys? How much would, you know, potentially uh, affect the other aspects of your diet? So, uh, the first thing we did was try to set the stage with some documentation. And what, what I, I did, uh, a student and I, in 2009, uh, we actually took quotes from introductory dietetics textbooks and what we teach students and, and young athletes at university. And let me just read just a handful of these to you. People take these protein supplements for many different reasons, all of them unfounded. Like m many other magic solutions to health problems, protein and amino acid supplements don't work these miracles and may be harmful. Okay? Now, we're going to keep that in mind, that phrase, especially the gold terms there, when I show you the next slide. Muscle work builds muscle. Protein supplements do not. Well, we've already seen at least one slide about negative net balance when there's not a nutrition intervention with the resistance training stimulus. Athletes are not only pumping iron these days, they're also pumping protein supplements in hopes of building muscles. Well, I myself use whey and casein occasionally after I lift. I don't ever remember pumping it, but there you have it. So let me show you just some of the, the preliminary findings here. First, the renal data. Um, and this was, a, this was just a poster that was out in the expo hall. But if we look at creatinine clearance, uh, a clinician, of course, might look at creatinine clearance uh, in renal disease. And if there's a decrease in the uh, kidney's ability to you know, clear creatinine, then that would be a concern. And uh, I should also point out, too, that not just diet logs, but if, if, the, if the athletes told us they were seeking extra protein, we asked them, how long have you done this? And the mean uh, duration was nine years. So obviously this isn't a direct intervention trial of nine years where I'm paying millions of dollars to strength athletes and provide them all with protein for a decade. Instead, it's, that's one of the limitations here, that this is self-report, whether it's diet records or... But again, 250 grams a day for 10 years, at least based on that limitation of self-report. And their kidney filtration ability um, didn't, doesn't look any different. If you look at hydration, this is just urine-specific gravity, and that's one of the other concerns from the education materials that protein causes dehydration. Well, if you look at the dark bars there, that's the fasting in the morning, and there's no difference at all in whether or not they're dehydrated in the morning. Uh, if you look at the, the sort of uh, striped bars there, uh, that's over a 12-hour period, in a free-living 12-hour period. 
Uh, and it does, it, it, although those bars look different, statistically they're not different at all. So we weren't able to see any dehydration. And, and there's one other group, uh, Martin's group, who actually was looking at this dehydration issue as well with high-protein diets and didn't, couldn't find anything either. So we're finally starting to get some data that maybe protein isn't dehydrating necessarily in a pre-living environment. So the questions that clients come to you usually, and they'll ask you is, you know, they want to drop some fat. Um, you know, what kind of foods do they actually crave? And what they're really worried about is that you're going to tell them that their favorite food that they enjoy the most is now off limits and that they cannot have it anymore. That's kind of usually a lot of times their, their deep-seated fear. And what they really want to ask you, which they very rarely ever do in my experience, is how bad can I actually eat and still get results, right? And there's obviously some people who are, you know, very hardcore who are competing, you know, on elite levels. Yeah, they're going to be a little bit different, but the average person really wants to know how much crap can I actually get away with and still make it towards my goal. And a lot of them have already probably covered potentially beta-alanine and creatine for high output conditions. Other ones that are kind of borderline, there's some data that show that green tea may help with fat burning. Kind of debatable. Um, here at L-carnitine quoted a lot of times to help burn more fat. Mm, I don't think the data is really quite there for that yet. Another one that's interesting, there's not a ton of data, is astaxanthin. It's actually the red color in salmon, and it's a very good antioxidant. It appears to increase the CPT1 enzyme, and this may enhance fat oxidation. So more of this enzyme can help shuttle fat into the mitochondria. Also appears to be healthy since, like I said, it's an antioxidant. If you have a whole bunch of email, you can send me for references on that too. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.